Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 99 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about how litigators might benefit from the iPad and also mourned the upcoming demise of Google Reader. In this episode, we were inspired by a new social media service called Vine and how it might illustrate that constraints actually help creativity. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? In this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll talk about how technology constraints might produce unexpected results, even for lawyers. In our second segment, we'll preview the upcoming ABA Tech Show. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. First, let's get started with our main topic, and that's constraints and creativity. In the past few years, we've seen new tools for sharing information that, that only allow for short amounts of, of, of that information that you, that you want to share. These days, the younger generations are spending more time on Twitter, I think, for communication than email or even text messaging. These new types of what they call short-form content tools are starting to change the way that we share information and, and communicate with each other. And it, it was a service called Vine that really got us thinking about the subject. Dennis, what is, what is Vine and, and why did it stand out to you as an example of one of these tools? Well, Vine is a six-second video application and a sharing service out of that. And it has limited functionality. You can't do a lot of editing and you can't really tweak the picture and, and you're limited to six seconds and you can start and stop but not much more than that. And it's sort of conceptually a little bit like a Twitter for a, a, a video. And I, I learned about it. I, haven't, I have to admit I haven't used it because I'm not really sure it's my medium. And you, you, you have a, an app that you, you will use this with. You create six seconds of video. I heard a podcast, uh, the Slate Cultural Podcast, where they talked about it, and that's really got what got me interested in it. And I... I've sampled a few Vine uh, videos, and it's kind of interesting because it is a visual, to me, in one sense, a visual version of Twitter. So say you're out and you're on vacation and there's a great sunset, you take six seconds of video of that sunset and you share it with, with people going like, hey, here's a cool sunset, or here are the waves breaking in, or, or things like that. And then on the Slate podcast, they also talked about creating these these little thematic videos that in six seconds maybe you can get a, a a quick point across and and that's what intrigued me because there was such a tight limitation and it was frustrating to some people because you couldn't do a lot of things but it just struck me that that maybe it's that for for you or me tom but but somebody could really run with this kind of crazy six second limitation on video you know, what, what's interesting to me is how long six seconds actually is when you start looking at it, because I have gone out to look at some of the, the vines is what they call them. And, uh, and, and it's interesting to me that after, you, after I watch them for a while, I start to think, wow, I can't believe they got all this stuff into six seconds. The, uh, I, the ones that I've seen, you know, I, there's, there's a, 
there's a page out there. I can't remember the name of it. I'll try and put it in the show notes where, that actually is showing sort of real time people creating vines. And it just is one vine after the other, which after you watch it for maybe five minutes, you may slowly go crazy watching some of the people do some of this stuff. But what's interesting about it is I find that the amateur vines don't interest me all that much, but I'm finding that some of the some of the advertisers, uh, the companies out there are starting to make really creative use of the space. For example, Bacardi Rum is doing a six second vine on how to create the perfect mojito. And so for each second, they have one step and they show a little card. And, and because you can stop and start it, it's kind of a stop action kind of a video. And so you see for each second, one step and they're making that they're making that mojito right there. And I think it's really clever the way that they've been able to, to, to do something like that. I, I, I think that when, and you, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about the why and the why are we seeing tools like that. For, for me, the, what I think that tools like Vine and there are a couple others that are out there, um, I think they're really the example of this move to mobile technologies. Uh, more people are using smaller screens. People's attention spans are shorter. Um, on these mobile devices, you know, Twitter was designed to fit inside a text message with 140 characters. Um, uh, you know, I, I, it, there's a, there's also a, a, a tool as I was, as I was looking on the internet called Snapchat, uh, never heard of Snapchat until today, the day that we're recording this podcast. And it, it's a picture service. It allows you to take a picture and share it with another person or a group of people. And it's a timed picture. You can share it for up to 10 seconds. You can, it, it, it has a limited lifespan and, and at the end of that 10 seconds, it goes away forever. It's gone. It's such an interesting way of sharing content with somebody, but it's not permanent. It's not stored anywhere. And uh, what they've said is that right now, as of today, Snapchat is sharing 60 million photos a day, which I think is, tr is just an astounding amount of engagement just to show pictures just for a brief period of time. But I think we're seeing the younger generations start to use tools like this because uh, because they can get across still a lot of content, a lot of information within a short period of time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is that sense that you're able to condense information and, you know, whether you call it shorter attention span or, you know, like a different approach, it's sort of like the way that uh, we are told stories on TV and other things has changed over the years so that we extract a lot of meaning, I guess, out of a, a small amount of information. When I watch movies from the 1960s, oh my God, it's just like, they'll show somebody driving a car down a road, down a road, down a road, and then people walk, get out of the car, walk up to a house, open the door, go in. And we're used to these days, like car on the road, people jump out of the car, they're inside the house. You know exactly what happened, and so that there is that sort of condensing, um, and so that's that's kind of interesting, and 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 so that's why I think what intrigued me about Vine is like, wow, maybe this is the six seconds. Is that really this this weird limitation where you go like, oh, I'm a lawyer, I could never, you know, put you know put across any point that I would want to make in in six seconds. And maybe, you know, that's that's not so much the case when you consider your audience and what the actual message is. And, and so that made me think, I guess, uh, sort of the classic, you know, first reaction to Twitter is say, oh, my God, there's only 140 characters I could do. I can't even do a blog post in 140 words or you know, I can't do an article in 1400 words. You know, that sort of thing. How can I? That, that was my thing. It's how could I ever 
possibly say anything in 140 characters. And then, you know, I learned to use Twitter and, and I used to have like 140 character tweets. Um, and then I dropped them back. And, and now I, I find that I'm playing with the hashtags, you know, to, as a sort in this sort of meta way to make a comment about it. And in that 140 characters, now I feel like I have plenty of space to, to almost do, you know, the tweet plus a comment on that tweet in that space. And it's really interesting how that 140 character uh, constraint really doesn't seem that big to me any, anymore. I don't know if you've experienced something similar, Tom. You know, I haven't gotten that close yet. I'm, I'm still, I still struggle editing tweets and trying to get them down. I am probably more verbose than I want to be or need to be, and and I'm and I'm not very good on the hashtags. Uh, you know, I I remember a number of years ago we started to see research uh, that suggested that people couldn't completely read full articles on the web if if they if they were reading something that was in their hands on a piece of paper that they were able to read and focus and concentrate on it. But if you're looking on it on a computer screen, then their attention drifted. They got distracted easily. They really couldn't do it. And I think that what we're seeing now with Twitter, with Vine, with Snapchat, we're seeing a response to that research. You know, I think it's interesting now that we're now seeing in the past two years, we're, we're seeing something called long-form content. And long-form content really is what content used to be. It used to be uh, it all used to be long, and I, I read an article uh, with a with a journalist chiding other journalists, saying that the size of newspaper articles is shrinking these days, and that's a good thing because uh, journalists are too in love with their own writing. But I, I think it's interesting that they have to now set apart long form content and and say, you know, if you really want to learn something and be educated and 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 get in depth, then you have to read this long form content. So I I think this is really interesting shift that we're seeing. And and the, you know the question that I have with this is, are we becoming dumber as a result? Are we getting less information or are we getting enough information? You know, for example, I thought it was brilliant at the Super Bowl when uh, when the lights went out at the Super Bowl and uh, Oreo cookies, they sent a tweet out with an image. I mean, they were able to pivot on a dime and, and go out and put an image out. And on Twitter, all it said was, Oreo, you can still dunk in the dark. And I mean, they were able to respond immediately to the blackout of the Super Bowl in a way that you couldn't do with traditional media, with longer formats. Uh, if you have to think about it, they're able to get out. And I think that's one of the benefits of these technologies. But I don't know. Do you think that 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 by maybe inspiring creativity, we're also uh, creating to the, the dumbing down of content consumption? Well, I think that's always going to be the concern. I mean, you have these tools like, you know, the Snapchat thing and even Vine. People, you know, are concerned about people using it for porn or, you know, other things like, you know, inappropriate things. And, you know, yet another dumbing down of the culture because people aren't reading, you know, thousand page books and, and that sort of thing. You know, so there's I mean, I think there's some concern there, but we're evolving in in, in some interesting ways. What I was thinking of when you were just talking was there's this notion in, in uh, content, uh, sort of content strategies, content management these days of, of chunks versus blobs of information and that we're moving away from the blob world where you have these sort of rectangular, you know, pages and documents and and everything sort of in, in shapes and you sort of flow things into that. The notion of chunks where you say, 
here are the, the components of information and I sort of assemble those as I need them. You know, so if I need a picture, I can grab that picture and I can assemble things in different ways. If I just need a short title or a short summary, then I can do that and as I start to skim things. And so I think it gives uh, you know, some different access points and allows people to dive deeper. I mean, that's sort of the notion of always the classic notion of hyperlinking is that you could take things, you know, farther down. So I, I see some of these things that we're talking about, the short form things as entry points, you know, so you can decide whether they, they want to go further versus saying, hey, I have to read a whole, do I have to read this whole, you know, 400 page book to decide you know, whether I'm even interested in the topic. And so I'm not, I'm not so sure it's stumbling down, but it's sort of some an evolution of how we react to how much information is is coming toward us. I don't know. I, at the time, we sort of gotten away from the notion of of constraints, which is, I think, our, our what we originally wanted to focus on. I don't know. Do you want to head back to the idea of constraints and and maybe how these constraints help people be more creative because they're you know, sort of butting up against the constraints and wanting to figure out ways around them. Well, I guess I need to push back against your notion. When I hear you say constraints, it it seems to me like um, the constraint is intent, like it's intentional, uh, or there's there that they are uh, that 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 uh, that they're not intentional. That there are things that that we can't do anything about. But but I think that they are intentional. I think that they're self imposed. I mean, Twitter Twitter was designed to fit in a text message and text messages are a certain length for a reason. But uh, why is a vine six seconds? Why isn't it 10 seconds or 12 seconds? What's the, there, there's an intention behind that. And so I'm going to push back on the notion of the constraint. And I think the constraint is a construct really is to, is we've, we've des- decided if you want to use Tumblr, I recently started a Tumblr blog uh, where you can just post little bits of information. I'm using it mostly to post photography. To, 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 I'm starting to take more pictures and, and, and try to be more creative about that. And, and Tumblr, I think, is an, a great place to be able to post both photos and then post a little bit of text. Not a lot. It's not really designed to post long, long dialogues about it. Um, but I, I, I think that that's, that's a self-imposed constraint that uh, it's not something that we're trying to figure out how to work around. It's, uh, it's, it's to me, something that, and, and, and when I say work around, I mean something that would inspire us to be creative as being creative with Twitter is, as, as trying to come up with uh, the right things within 140 characters, the right things to say. But it's, uh, it's taking the medium and deciding how best I can use it and what what use I can make of it. So I guess I come at it from a different perspective. Is is, is that I see the constraint as being a little bit more, a uh, little bit more intentional and 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 less of a of a of an imposed thing that requires somebody to to work around something or or deal with it that way. And I don't know if you have a different opinion on that, but that's kind of how I'm coming at this. Yeah, I, I'm in a way I don't. I'm not as concerned whether you know the the reason behind the constraint, just the fact that it exists in a way, because you, you might have a court that would say this brief can only be this many pages. And then you've found people were like creative in, in the ways that they used smaller fonts, you know, spacing, things like that to, to kind of accomplish more or what they also found is that within that constraint, they had to choose better what needed to, to fit into, into that brief. And so, 
when you started the Tumblr, your your Tumblr, I looked at that and sort of played with it a little bit to see whether it might make sense for me. And and to me, it was just sort of like, well, this is one more thing. If I'm going to invest time, maybe I would. I'd rather do that in Facebook. But but it was interesting to me. And and I think that where I compare the constraint on a lot of these things is, you know, on the one hand, you know, people will say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do all the things that you can do in, say, Microsoft Word, which is, to me, sort of the classic model of here's this ability to do everything. There's hardly anything you can think of if in terms of being creative and writing that you can't do in Microsoft Word. And it's totally overwhelming. And you end up, you know, using whatever, you know, definitely less than 10% or you know, it not being the go-to tool when you actually want to create something. And so I think that because you have, you know, limited choices and that sort of thing that that makes uh, some of these new things uh, really attractive to you as a way to get down ideas and work with them. And then as you butt up against the constraints that they have, you start to, to do some editing and more creative things to say, okay, I know I only have the six seconds and I have, you know, X number of things to say, or I only have 140 characters that I need to convey this thing. So how can I do that? And so I, I think that that the restraint as it happens and you face it makes you more creative. Because as you said, you know, Tom, you're, you're sort of messing with, you know, how do I edit this, edit this down to 140 characters? But as a result of that, what you do get in those 140 characters maybe carries a lot more information or meaning to people than the longer thing that you might have started with. I will say, though, that in all honesty, if there's a tweet, like say I see somebody on Twitter that I want to retweet to, to the people that follow me, if I can't make that happen in 140 characters with the with the words that I want to use, I give up fairly quickly. I think life is too short to have to worry about how to edit down to 140 characters what I really want to say here. And so I tend to... <laughs> I tend to push against that particular constraint, um, but uh, but that that just may be me. Um, I, let me ask this question, and maybe this will be kind of the question that we take as we as we get ready to close out of this segment, which is: Do these new short form technologies mean anything for lawyers? What's the what's the purpose of us talking about this today? I, I think that you're right to the point that traditionally constraints have pushed people to be creative, whether it's with brief length, uh, whether it's other reasons, whether it's technology. Um, every time some new technology story happens on the internet, I am treated to at least two or three blog posts on what does this mean for lawyers? And I groan every time that I see it, but I'm going to go ahead and still say it and say, I-, I think that there's at least one important takeaway, at least as far as I'm concerned, and it may be less about constraints and creativity, and so I'm going to let you handle that part. And it may be more about what the medium says about what lawyers should do. I really don't want to make this about marketing and how lawyers can market their practice using Vine, because I really don't think that's where I want to take that argument. But I think that the importance about understanding these tools is that to capture someone's attention in the future, you are going to have less and less time to do that. You probably have less time now than you had 10 years ago, and you're going to have less, even more, because these technologies are conditioning us to expect more with less. And I I think that they're going to turn us into that, satisfy us within six seconds, or we're turning it off. And I think that may apply to how lawyers 
communicate with the public. You might call it marketing. You might call it outreach or whatever you want to call it. I, I think anyone that wants to to network for potential clients or customers will have to speak in a way that's appealing to them. And, and, I, and it may be in the future, you only have a few seconds to get that me- message across. I'm not sure whether that's a good or a bad thing, but I think it's a thing that we need to, to think about. Dennis? Yeah, I mean, my sense is that, and that's where I come from, is it, maybe it just is, you know, where you say, okay, this is how people are communicating. This is how people receive messages for the bulk of their day. And then this sort of, you know, classic, you know, 12-page, single-spaced lawyer letter um, is, is just doesn't cut it. it nobody's it, nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to pay attention to it. And then, then I also think, you, as you say, okay, this is how, this is what people are doing. This is how they communicate. It may not make sense to me, but it's going to have an impact on what I do, you know, because as lawyers move to email, you're thinking, oh, I need to move to email because that's that's what people actually look at. And now I, you know, I talk to lawyers who say my assumption is is that people, and I can tell people don't read what I put in in the emails. And so you say, now I need to start to do things like, do I do bullets? Do I do bold? Do I use instant messages? If I really want to communicate with somebody, what does it take? Maybe it has to be audio. Maybe it has to be video. But I think you, you want to have a sense of what people are actually using to communicate and then whether that fits in to, to what you're doing as a lawyer in a number of ways. I mean, it goes back to a number of things we've discussed over, you know, recently, Tom. If I don't know anything about Vine or Snapchat or, you know, all these other things, then am I overlooking evidence? You know, or does this help me construct an argument? Um, can I better construct an argument if I, you know, use a more limited tool? That's where I think it can be really interesting, and and that's where I think that lawyers over the years have done some really cool things. Every time, you know, I always run into these lawyers who, you know, their firm won't let them have this. There's no budget. They, you know, they use some software way at the extreme, you know, beyond what somebody um, intended for to to accomplish something pretty cool. And, and you know, the examples of spreadsheets, you know, outline tools, all that sort of things, you know, task lists that that echo program in the past, Lotus Notes, people use it in, in you know, all sorts of cool ways because it's the only thing they had or there's no budget to buy the tool they really needed. And so that's where I think the, the constraint will, will really work. But um, there's so much information coming at us and I just think we need to have a good handle on where it's all coming from and how it's changing and, and then how we might better, uh, you know, either participate or, you know, manage or or get involved in those different streams and and i was going to let that be the last word and move on but there was one part that i really i really want to push back about and it it was at the beginning of of what you were just saying and and saying that this is uh maybe just the way that it is and i don't disagree when we talk about tools like this i mean i think that that's where we're going and maybe in the future trial lawyers will present bits of evidence in six or 10 second bursts because it will be something that the jurors can appreciate. But I was listening to This Week in Google a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they've, been, they've been talking a lot about Google Glass and the, uh, the fact that uh, people who are wearing this Google Glass tool, they'll be able to you know, see a, a streaming display of, of text messages that they get and web searches and maybe maps so they can get directions. And, and it'll, be, it'll be in front of their face the whole time instead of you know, people that you see these days walking down the street with their phone in front of their face. And the host was lamenting 
the fact that now we would have people who pr- were pretending to look at you and uh, they were really actually looking at their glass and, and they, they weren't, you know, had, were kind of getting away from what we expect to be polite, normal behavior. And, and, and he was saying that it's just like the kids who are standing all around together looking at their phones. And, and, and Jeff Jarvis, who I respect a lot in a number of ways, said, maybe that's just the way it is or the way it's going to be. And I guess my response to that is, is that for things like that, for, for to, to take that position and to figure out that maybe that's the way that it is, is not necessarily w- what we should accept for everything. I don't think that just because it's happening doesn't mean that that's a good thing and that's the way it should be. I guess that's my, my little tiny mini rant aside from what we were talking about on constraints. But, but I think that, that just because something is doesn't mean that we actually have to do it. So I guess maybe that's my way of saying that uh, if you don't like Vine, if you don't like some of these other things, then, uh, then don't use it. Don't pay attention to it. But it's probably something that you need to at least know about because it's probably going to continue and, uh, and develop and evolve uh, over the coming years. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them the ability to get their work done from anywhere whether it's at their office at the courthouse at home or even if they're on vacation they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done Uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important with cloud-based software you can access your data and software from your iphone or your ipad your blackberry uh, and other mobile devices so for the uh, lawyers that are on the move which is an increasing Uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we wanted to talk about the ABA Tech Show being held this week. Uh, perhaps even as you listen to this podcast, Tom and I will both be speaking at the conference and thought this might be a good time to share some of our thoughts about Tech Show, some tips for attendees, and maybe some tips for non-attendees, and ways to meet us if you're actually at Tech Show. Tom? Well, for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast before, who may be new, we we talk about Tech Show about the same time every year. It is, uh, to my opinion, uh, the, the premier technology, legal technology conference for lawyers who want to learn more about how to use technology more effectively in their practices. There are probably 50 to 60 of what I consider to be the best legal technology speakers in the country with uh, fabulous, really wonderful content over a three-day period in Chicago. It's coming up uh, April 4th through the 6th. What we don't talk about often enough is how great the networking opportunities are. I, I think that one of the best things about Tech Show is that lawyers get to talk with other people 
who may be in the same situation as them, who and you know who compare with each other. How do you use technology in this situation? What's working for you? What are the problems you're working through? And and people can find solutions that they didn't really expect to find when they are uh, are back at their office and 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 don't have the kinds of connections that they can make at tech show. Around this time of year, Dennis, I start to see comments about how a tech show doesn't teach you to be a better lawyer. And this sort of frustrates me, but I think in one sense it's true. Um, there are other CLEs that are better for teaching you how to be a better lawyer. I, I think what the, the folks who make these comments miss by this is, is that by learning how to use technology to serve your clients better, you are becoming a better lawyer. It, it might, you know, using technology might not give you the right words to persuade a jury or to make the right objections in court or, or to craft the right negotiation strategy that's going to get that deal completed. Um, but but technology can help you accomplish all of those tasks more efficiently, more effectively, sometimes more economically uh, for the client. And and in a way that makes you a better lawyer. It, it's 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 part and parcel of the of the uh, concept. But it's it's not connected directly to the idea of lawyering. It's just a part of that. It's part of what makes law practice management an important tool, an important discipline for people to to to, to have. Um, you know, I, I, I look at the tech show. If you go to techshow.com, um, I look at the, the sessions that are out there, how to create a paperless office, technology for litigators, you people using technology in the courtroom. There's a whole track on e-discovery. There's a track for advanced IT for those of you who are looking for more advanced issues. Um, there's technology for solo and small firm lawyers who are dealing with things on a smaller level. Uh, there's cloud computing, collaboration sessions, a whole lot more. Uh, I think that if you're attending, the first thing you want to do is is download the app. Uh, the app really has improved a lot since it was introduced. You can uh, you can create your own schedule. You can go in and and look at who the attendees are, who the speakers are. You can follow people. You can interact on social media through the app. Um, it's a I think a really good way to get a sense of what's going on at the show and keeping track and keeping up with it. If you're not attending, but you happen to be listening to this podcast before April fourth, really. Follow Twitter. Go over to Twitter. Tune in and, and look for hashtag ABA Tech Show. Uh, you will see the tweets of attendees, of faculty members, um, vendors. Also tweet probably more than I would like, but they tweet a lot. Uh, no, no matter when you hear this podcast, uh, you'll, you're going to be able to review blog posts on it. Then I'll try to post some of the some of the bloggers who talk about Tech Show on a regular basis. But frankly, if you just go to Google and and Google Tech Show 2013 after the show. You should be able to find some blog posts talking about what was discussed and what people learned at ABA Tech Show. Dennis, um, what are I, I was kind of long-winded on that. What are you looking forward to at Tech Show this year? I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of my good friends and talking about what's interesting to them. I was struck, Tom, because you were talking about the, the Twitter hashtag, uh, the ABA Tech Show hashtag, which I think is really interesting because it does have life all year long. It's true. You know, normally a conference hashtag just lasts for the time of the conference, maybe a day or two after. That uh, the ABA Tech Show hashtag goes year round. And then the other thing that when you were talking about tech show that I was thinking about is, I mean, it's one thing to talk about networking, which I, I think is, is so incredibly valuable at tech show and, and what makes it, uh, you know, such a great show to go to because uh, speakers, everybody else are really open. But the, the nuance that you had on that where people saying, oh, it's, I don't know whether technology is going to make me a better lawyer. And, and the variation on that I often hear is, I don't really need this technology. I don't need a Mac. I don't need an iPad. I don't need that sort of thing. And 
in, in a certain sense, that that's always going to be true. But I think what happens at Tech Show is that when you see people doing such cool things and uh, really reaping the benefits of things like that, I I look you know in the last three or four years, what's happened in, in with Max among lawyers at Tech Show is amazing because people were doing such cool things, and once you see that start to happen, you know once you see. Tom talking about the iPad and doing a presentation off his iPad. Um, you know, once you start to understand how people actually use these things and it translates into what you're doing and some of the things you're interested in and solving problems that you have, that's what I think is really cool about Tech Show is because you do get the chance to see people actually using these things practically in in ways that might benefit you as well. And and so and then you get the chance to talk to them. Uh, hang out with them, potentially have dinner with them. Um, you know, so it's, I think that's great. And the other thing I wanted to say, Tom, was that uh, the people do have the, I know that both you and I really go out of our way uh, when we're at Tech Show, even to the extent of, of missing programs that probably are, are on our little schedule of things we think we want to see, that we try to make ourselves available through, uh, you know, at the, uh, the concierge desk for the show, uh, at I know we're going to be at the LPM booth, both of us, and and just trying to to make ourselves available to to people who listen to the podcast, who've read our articles, and and to me that's that's really great fun as well. And and I always tell people for tech show is you see me and you you know see my name badge, you know within reason. I don't want you to like jump you know jump in and and interrupt the conversation I have going, but. Hang out there, and, and I'm more than happy to talk to people, and, and I'm more than open to that. Now it's time for our parting chats at one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, uh, if you've been reading the news, the technology news in the past couple of weeks, even though on the last podcast we sort of mourned the loss of Google Reader, when Google taketh away, they also giveth, and they introduced a new tool uh, called Google Keep uh, to keep your notes uh, People have been comparing it to Evernote to see if it's an Evernote challenger. PC Magazine compared both Google Keep and Evernote along with Microsoft OneNote to see who is the best note-taking tool out there right now. They did declare a winner. I will post the link in the show notes to take a look because I think it, it's a good uh, list of the, the different features for those tools that if you're not already using one, it helps you to hopefully make a decision on which tool to use. I'm basically afraid to use anything new from from uh, Google. So <laughs> that's exactly right. What I have is, uh, you know, Allison Shields and I will be uh, speaking about LinkedIn and Facebook at at Tech Show, and and one of the things people talk to me a lot about LinkedIn lately is is the new LinkedIn endorsements feature, and I've commented on that before, and I generally have a positive feel about it, but I, I really feel like I'm in the exception, and a lot of people have a lot of hostility. I've noticed in recent conversations I've had about the LinkedIn endorsements, and somebody, you know, as is common in the technology business, predicts that endorsements will be dead within a year, as will it seems like you can find any somebody predicting every technology will be dead within a year. But my parting shot is uh, actually a, a a post on Law Technology Today that Allison did uh, called LinkedIn Endorsements 101. And Allison is so great for me to write with because she really thinks things through and has these sort of really insightful comments uh, where I sort of have sort of quick kind of broader comments. She's really practical and, and kind of thinks these things uh, through in, in different ways than I do and has some really helpful hints on this. So 
This in the LinkedIn Endorsements 101, she kind of really walks through the endorsements and how you might use them and has a lot of good tips. And so for people who are have questions about endorse the LinkedIn endorsements or whether they make sense or how you might manage them better or make more sense of them, um, this is great. It's a it's a great post, and I suspect uh, some of that will make it into a second edition of our LinkedIn book. But uh, uh, more really great information from Allison on on LinkedIn there. Yeah, it's definitely a great post. I I recommend that everybody read it. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes at lawtechnologytoday.org or on the Legal Talk Network site. Our archives of previous podcasts are still available in iTunes and on the Legal Talk Network site. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus that Tom, believe it or not, is going to uh, have its 100th episode. So get that episode and our new episodes automatically by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.